Okay, we're in Acts chapter 16. We're calling this message the key, <clears throat> the key to a better new year. And this next week, Tuesday, starts the new year. And it's, Tuesday's probably not going to be that much different than Monday, but it's a psychological break. You know, we put up the new calendar. We start thinking about the vacation for 2019 instead of reflecting on the vacation we had in 2018. It's, it's kind of a shift, and all of us should see it as an opportunity to make a shift. So how do we, how do we focus on 2019 to make it better than 2018 was? In Acts chapter 16, some, uh, some things had happened. In Acts chapter 15, there was a, a first major division within the church because the Apostle Paul was coming back and he was saying, I was going out and I was sharing Jesus with people and we were seeing signs and wonders and miracles and people were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit that weren't even Jews. They had never followed the law, but God gave them the same favor. So it must be that the law wasn't important anymore. God was doing something different. And so there was one side that says, we don't need the law anymore. And the other side that says, oh, God gave the law. Of course we do. And there was a collision and they had to come together. The leaders came together for this big council to decide, are we going to require Gentiles to follow the Mosaic law or are we not? And they finally came up with this conclusion that there's a few basic standard rules that everybody following God should follow. And the rest of them, not that important. If you want to follow, follow. But it's not a requirement for your salvation. And once that decision was made, it liberated the Apostle Paul. He went right back out on a, on a next missionary journey. And that's where he ran into some headaches. Because they had determined his evangelism team were going to go to this village. And when they got there, the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to preach in that village. Hmm. So they went to another village that they thought was a good strategic point. And when they got there, the Holy Spirit said, no, you don't preach here. It's a timing thing. So they went, they went to a third village, the town of Troas. Troas is on the coast, the Aegean Sea. They has gone as far north and east as they could go. And it was there that Paul had a dream. And he dreamed he saw Macedonia. Macedonia. Macedonia was on the other side of the Aegean Sea. They had never taken the gospel there before. These people didn't speak the same language as Paul. It was a different culture than Paul. But the Macedonian says, come over and help us. And Paul woke up in the morning all excited because he knew he had heard from God. Now God had shown him what to do. The reason those other doors closed is because God had planned for that one. So they crossed the Aegean Sea, and it was exciting because for the first time, people, Europeans, because that's the division between Asia and Europe, for the first time, Europeans became believers. And in Acts chapter 16, we read three stories, two of them short, about uh, people becoming believers, their life changing. And we learn, we're learning that God's doing some amazing things then. He's still doing amazing things today. 
So Acts chapter 16, I have to look at my notes to see what we're going to read. Okay, we're going to read verses 13, 14, and 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So the first blank there in your outline is, it's the story of the conversion of Lydia. The conversion of Lydia. Her life was changed. A couple things uh, we see. I've got A, B, C, and D there in your outline. Here's the first thing. She was a successful businesswoman. We tend to think, well, back in Bible days, it was a, you know, the men went to work and the wives stayed home and had babies and, and washed the, the dirty laundry and that sort of thing. That was a woman's role. But I want you to know this lady was a businesswoman. She had a business. She, she manufactured purple cloth. In other words, she had to go out and she had to buy fabric from someplace. She had to find somebody that made fabric. That isn't what she did. She had to buy the fabric. She had either she made her own dye or she had to purchase the dye. And then she had to dye the cloth, the fabric. And then she went out and sold it. So it was a business. You have to know what you're doing if you're going to be successful in the business world. Because you, there's some money you have to put out to buy merchandise, and then you have to be able to sell it at a profit and not too high, because then people will buy the neighbor's product. So there was a skill to this. And she was a woman, and she was successful in Macedonia in those times. Purple, by the way, is the color of royalty. When you find purple mentioned in the Old Testament, it's usually associated with royalty. Here's the B. She was a worshiper of God. She worshiped God. Now, there is a difference between a deist and a Christian. And I think we need to lay this out because I think for us Christians in the, in the modern world, at least here in America, we get this confused. A deist is someone who believes in God. A Christian is one who believes in Jesus. The New Testament says the only way to God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. So our country has been founded by a lot of deists who believed in God. They prayed to God, but they did not have a connection with Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. So she was a worshiper of God. Nobody knew anything about Jesus over in Macedonia. They had not heard the good news. But she believed in God enough to go to the place of prayer. 
So she's there at the place of prayer, and that's where Paul goes, because Paul is not looking for the worst of the worst. He's looking for people who are already looking. He's looking for people that have a foundation laid. And when somebody will say, I believe in God, there's a foundation that's been laid. It's a lot easier to tell them about Jesus if they believe in God. And if they believe in Jesus, there's a, it's a, there's a foundation laid that makes it easier to tell them about the interaction of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our lives today. So all three parts of the Godhead are important. She focused on God the Father. And maybe she probably had some distorted view of God based on the cultural teaching she had because there weren't a lot of Jews over there. Here's the third thing we learn about her. She had an open heart. Her heart was open. But the Bible says the Lord opened her heart. In other words, God's got to open someone's heart. I remember when my heart was closed and I wasn't interested in religion. I thought that was an old wives' fable. It really had, it was fine for religious people, but it wasn't for me. I didn't have any interest in it. I didn't want to give it a fair chance. But God opened my heart and dramatically changed me. Most probably you're here this morning because sometime along your spiritual journey, God opened your heart. And when God opens your heart, you become receptive to what he wants to do in your life. And here's the fourth thing, the D. She was a first responder. She was the first one in Europe to respond to the message. Now, let me just say this. To be a responder means you got to do something. It requires some action to respond. You can't just say, well, I believe that. You got to do something with your belief to respond. There's got to be a response. A bill coming in the mail demands a response. Somebody looking you in the eye and say, I love you, requires a response. God sending his own son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin requires a response. We can't just sit there and say, I believe. We have to do something. We have to respond. Requires an action step. What Lydia did was she was baptized and her house. Now, it doesn't mean her, the building she lived in. House in the, in the Greek, the, word, the Greek word is oikos. What that means is her household, everything pertaining to her. That means her employees. That means her children. That means her husband if she was married. That means her servants. That means everybody that had dealings with her. And she's a businesswoman. She's got employees. They all were baptized. Now that tells us she's a leader. She's got clout. She's got influence. And whether you realize it or not, you have influence in people's lives. You may not think you do, but you do. There are people that trust you. There are people that look to you, that will believe you. And a good response we can have to what Jesus did for us 
is to pass that good news on to someone else. So she was baptized. That's the first thing. First person to be baptized in that part of the world. The second thing she did was she served. She said, Paul, come and stay at my house. While you're here, while you're going around and you're preaching and you're having these meetings and you're introducing people to Jesus, while you're doing that, let me put a roof over your head. Let me put food on your table. Come and stay at my house. Apparently, she was pretty successful and had a big house. She had an extra room. Come on and stay with me. Let me help you in doing what, you're, what God has called you to do. You know, we can all do that. We can all have that kind of a response. Either you've got to get out and preach the word and go, go, go to the mission field, or you can have some response to help people who are called to do that to do it. That's what we did just a little bit ago with an offering. We gave you an opportunity to give. Why are you giving? Because you got too much money? No, the reason we give is because we want to see the good news spread. We want to see it move beyond us. And there's some people that have a different gift than we do that we can help exercise that gift and do what they do well. Now notice, here's the, here's the key. Here's what I want us to see, the key. This was all the result of a prayer meeting. Paul went to where they were having a prayer, prayer time. And that's where he met Lydia. She was at the same place. And it was in their casual conversation that he was able to lead her to Christ. We ought to, we ought to listen carefully because that's how revival takes place. Not in a big meeting where we have Billy Graham come in and we get thousands of people. It's one at a time as we have a casual conversation about what God has done in our lives. If we would all do that, we would, we would see the numbers in our church doubled in six months. If we would all share with the people that already trust us. So that's the first story. And the key was a prayer meeting. Here's the second story. It's found in verses 16 through 19. Once when we were going to the, to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So our, our emphasis here isn't on what happened to Paul and Silas. Our emphasis here is to look at what happened to this psychic. So this is the deliverance of a psychic. That's the blank there that you can put down. And I got five things I want us to note about her. 
First, she was a fortune teller. She told people's fortune, their future. I, whenever I'm in a Chinese restaurant, I want to make sure I get one of those fortune cookies. The cook cookies aren't hardly worth anything, but I want to see what the fortune is on the inside. Not because I believe in it. I think it's kind of fun. I had one one time. This is the honest truth. I wouldn't lie to you. This is the truth. I read my fortune from the fortune cookie, and it said, there will be good things for you in the offering. It really said that. It said she had a spirit, King James says, a spirit of divination. Yes. To divine is to be able to see into the unknown, is to be able to see into the other world. <clears throat> she had a spirit of divination, and she was able to tell people's future. Now, I don't know if she was reading their palms, or if she had some kind of a tea leaf thing she was doing, or if she had a crystal ball. I don't know what method she used, but she had this ability to tell people's future. And hey, you can make money if you can do that. Because wouldn't you like to know how much longer your car is going to last? Wouldn't you like to be able to strategize and plan? If you knew your engine was going to blow halfway through the year, you'd probably do things a little bit different. Wouldn't it be nice to know if in 2019 you could buy one lottery ticket and win? How would we know that? I mean, it's a gamble to go and buy a lottery ticket, right? It's just as big a gamble if you buy 25 lottery tickets thinking you've increased your odds by 25. It's a big gamble to buy a lottery ticket. But if we knew we were going to win, we'd only have to buy one. That would be worth some money, wouldn't it, to know? So she was making pretty good money for her employers telling their future because we all want to know what the future holds. We all want to know what's ahead of us. The second thing we learn here is that she was a follower of Paul. When Paul came to town, he had a different kind of spirit working through him. He had the Holy Spirit giving him insight, giving, giving it, when, he would, when he would speak, it would just melt people's hearts. It would reach down inside of their soul and, and grab a hold of them. And she was watching the reaction of people. She was watching the changes that were happening in people through Paul. She could see that. So she made this announcement that was completely true. And I'll get to that in a minute. So she followed. She wasn't, didn't just hear Paul. She followed him. You know, when you, when you hear of somebody that really connects with your spirit, you want to you get a little closer. You don't want to just say, well, that was nice. You want a little bit more. You want to connect with them. If you've got a famous actor and they come out with a new film, you want to go see that film because you follow them. She was following Paul. The third thing we learned is she was successful at what she did. She's making a lot of money. They would not have kept her on the payroll well, she wasn't even on the payroll. She was a slave. She didn't have a choice. 
And they kind of liked having her around because she was making money for them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want her around if she wasn't going to benefit them in some way. That's the whole purpose of having a slave, right? It's the whole purpose of having an employee, to have them benefit us. So she was successful. The fourth thing we learned is she was a truthful speaker. These men are sent from the Most High God. She, here's a woman with a reputation to tell in the fortune and seeing into the unknown. And she's, she's, telling, she's telling all those people, hey, listen to what he's got to say. Because they're giving you words on how you might be saved. Everybody come listen. So you see, she was kind of working with Paul and didn't even know what she was doing. And Paul put up with it because it was working. People would come and listen. He was able to share about Jesus and their lives would be changed. Here's the fifth thing we learn. She lost that valuable ability. When Paul, when Paul spoke to the Spirit and bound it, she lost it. Suddenly, she was not able to tell people's future anymore. Now, there's two ways to look at this, and I'll let you decide which way you want to look at it. The first way is the spiritual side, that she was able to tell people's future by a demonic spirit, a familiar spirit that was imparting that information to her, and she was just the agent, the prophet to pass it on. And so when Paul cast that spirit out, she immediately lost that ability. That's the first way to interpret it. The second way to interpret it is the non-spiritual side to say when Paul confronted the spirit that was within her, she made a decision she wasn't going to play their game anymore. And she just chose to stop. Like somebody who, uh, who deals drugs decided, well, I've come to Christ. I need to stop that. I can't, I can't sell drugs to somebody anymore. I, uh, I, can't, I can't provide uh, prostitutes for people anymore. I got to get out of this business. I have to change what I do. That's, that's the second way to look at it. But one thing's for sure, her bosses were furious. They lost their ability to make money. And they were not happy. So they didn't go after her. They went after Paul and Silas. They knew where that power came from. They knew it was Paul and Silas, so they went after him. And here's what I want us to see. This story all came about because of a prayer meeting. Did you catch in verse 16? One, one day while we were going to prayer, this, this lady came along. So the key to a better 2019 is prayer. We've got to get behind this. We have to understand who we're talking to. We have to understand what we're praying for. We have to understand that God hears us and prayer works. Now, there's one more story I want us to see. And this is a little bit longer, but I think we, we've got to focus on it. It starts, starts in verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. So the third one we're going to call the redemption of the Philippian jailer. He's the third convert. They're happening like one after another in sequence. One at a time. This is how revival works. One at a time. But when one person gets converted, it so changes them, they influence the people around them. And then each of them influence the people around them. And it continues generation after generation after generation till here we are in the 21st century still passing the good news on. And people are still having their hearts opened. So a couple things about the jailer here. First, he was under orders. You see, he had some keys in his hand. He had keys. He was able to lock the doors or open the doors. He had authority. But he was under, under orders. His authority came from higher up. Somebody else he was accountable to. So when he thought the prisoners escaped, he pulled out his sword to commit suicide because he would have been executed for letting the prisoners go. He was under orders. Keep them safe. That's what the NIV says. But we all know they don't care about safe. They want to keep him secure. Secure. Can't get out. So he takes them into the inner prison. He puts them in a place, in a cell, where it would be impossible for somebody on the outside to break in and get him out of there. So he's secure in there. Nobody's going to break in there. But Paul and Silas created their own prayer meeting. You cannot lock someone up so they can't go to prayer. Because prayer is personal. You can cry out to God right in your hospital bed. You can cry out to God right in your prison cell. You can cry out to God down in that dark place where you work and draw your paycheck. You can cry out to God any place. And they did it in such a way that the others heard. I mean, everybody around can hear. A bunch of religious nuts over there. They didn't care what other people were thinking. They were talking to God. So an earthquake comes. The walls rattle. The bars clang. 
All the locks come open. Stocks are off the feet. How did this happen? And everybody's free to walk out the door. This is liberty. This is freedom. And the Philippian jailer woke up. I love the way that word's that. I could preach a whole sermon on waking up. He woke up. He saw something. He saw freedom in other people. He saw this. He saw the chains fall off other people's bondage, and it made him wake up. What caused me to wake up was a co-worker I had by the name of Steve Hauser, who kept preaching and preaching to Isaac's dad, kept hounding me, made me mad. I discovered if I'd swear at him, he'd shut up for a while. <laughs> Literally. I should have known better, but I didn't. But the next day, he'd always come back. Always come back. Never gave up until I was at the bottom. And then I said, okay, I'll come to your house tonight. I'll talk to that preacher. What happened to Steve and the hope that he always had, his hope that never ran out, woke me up. Made me want some of that. And for some of us, it takes an earthquake to wake us up. 2019 might have that earthquake. Of course, if you wake yourself up, you don't have to deal with the earthquake. But God knows what it takes to wake us up, shake us up. So in verse 20, 27 is the third thing. He saw the prison doors open. He saw that freedom. He saw that liberty. He saw the chains set free. He saw people free, and it scared him. Because it's his job to keep them in bondage. But when somebody finds freedom, no matter how much hostility there is, there's freedom. Yes. We can't keep anybody in chains. The fourth thing, the D, is he received hope. Paul could have, could have cried out, and said, you're all a bunch of wicked sinners. You beat me. God's going to give you your due. Judgment's coming. But that doesn't give anybody any hope. It just keeps them where they are. So Paul gives him hope. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Hope. He gives them hope. That's the good news we need to give people. We, it doesn't do any good to go around and tell people what they're doing is a sin. It doesn't do any good to go tell people judgment's coming because they're just going to laugh at us. If it hasn't come by now, probably not going to come, they're going to say. What gives them hope is to tell them that Jesus paid the price for their sin and he wants to forgive them. He wants to come into their life and give them another chance. That is hope. This is the message of the cross. This is the good news that we have to be proclaiming to our co-workers and the people around us. It's good news. Amen. Believers always offer hope. And the fifth thing, 
it says he believed in the Lord Jesus. Now, I do my devotions and my Bible study out of the King James Version, and the King James Version says he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That uh, it confused me because I knew that in the NIV it says believed in the Lord Jesus. Well, was the term Christ in there? Or is it not in there? So I went back to the Nestle text, which is the original Greek text that, that most of our Bibles that we read today are translated from, from the Nestle text. I went back there and I read through and sure enough, it says Jesus Christ. It's the Greek word Christo. It means the anointed one, refers to the Messiah that God had promised in the Old Testament. And there it was in the Nestle text. It's not just Jesus the man. It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. The promised one of the Father. He believed in him. It was more than just believing in a good man who did good things. He believed in the, the office. The man filled the office of Messiah. The Redeemer. And this whole story happened as a result of prayer. Paul and Silas in their bondage, in their pain, calling out to God, and God responded. If God responds to us, we need to respond to him. Response requires some kind of action, something that we do. These things, the three stories, the three first converts, the stories are recorded, and the word prayer is mentioned in every one of them because I believe God is saying to us a key to victorious Christian living, living the way God wants us to live, that abundant life, is a life of prayer. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, our Father. Talking about relationship. Our Father, who is in heaven, the big guy, the man upstairs, the supreme being, the creator of the universe. He's my Father. Amen. Now, my my sons are old enough they can take care of themselves. Hopefully I've pointed them in the right direction. But when my grandkids ask me for something, I can't tell them no. <laughs> I love my grandkids. And they're too young to take care of these things on their own. So I want to bless them. That's the same attitude Father God has for us. As we become more, let me say this to Christians, as we become more mature in our faith, Father God expects us to keep walking down the path we've set. So he doesn't, he doesn't pull me up and give me a hug every time I walk past like I do with my grandkids. He expects us to grow up and stand on our own two feet and practice the principles he's laid out for us. But when we're new believers, he wants, he wants a response from us. 
I give my kids a hug even if they're kicking and screaming. But boy, it feels good when they respond. God wants us to respond. And how do we respond? We respond by praying. Now, how can you respond to this message? You can come to the prayer meeting Wednesday night, 6 to 7. We set that time apart, one hour, to dedicate ourselves to the Lord in 2019. We're going to be asking God to bless our businesses, to bless our our families, to bless what we do for Him. We're expecting God to bless us. So I want to encourage you to be here from just 6 to 7, be a part of prayer of dedicating ourselves to the Lord. We're all going to pray together, no, except for a couple people I've asked. Nobody has to pray out loud. So if you're uncomfortable with that, that's not an excuse. These three conversions, these three changes, all took place in the city of Philippi. That's where it all began in Europe, our ancestors. Starting next week, we're going to look at a, uh, a four-part series where we're looking at the four chapters in the book of Philippi. We're looking at some instruction that Paul wrote to the church. I mean, the, the people that these three led to the Lord. I mean, the, it all started with these three people, and they shared with others. So later, when there was a big church there, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter with some things he wanted them to know. So in January, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, one chapter a week. Your assignment, if you choose to accept it, <laughs> is read Philippians chapter 1. You got a whole week to do it. One chapter. Read Philippians 1 and ask yourself as you read through it, what is God trying to say to me? And see how close what God says to you shows you lines up with what I'm going to be sharing next week. Okay, let's stand together. God wants our prayer. He wants our relationship. He wants a conversation. He wants to hear what we're thinking, hear our questions. He's a big boy. He can take our insults if we want to throw them at him. And he will respond. He speaks back. He gives us an answer if we'll shut up long enough to listen to what he wants to say. That's prayer. That's what prayer is. And that's how you make a better new year for yourself. Amen? We're going to have some prayer partners up to the front. Uh, if you have a prayer need, feel free. Let them interact with you. And let's watch what God wants to do. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come together like this and be a part of a family. I thank you that we're closing out this year. Some bad things happened in 2018, but Lord, we're expecting a better 2019. So show us, God, how we can make it better on our end. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go with God. He loves you.